Is it official? It's official. Oh, the baby. All uh, right. Welcome to Church and Other Drugs. Thank you. I, f- I love it when you say welcome, because I feel like you're talking to me. Well, I but are am. You talk- oh. I am. Thanks. I'm talking. Uh, see, this is... This is this is our show. It's we're inviting uh other people. <laughs> I don't dude, I got right. I got nothing on that. Uh I thought you were going to go somewhere. It sounded good though. I was. So, you're you're you the congregation are cordially invited to listen in uh ear hustle style on me uh-huh. and Brad's conversation. Um I was welcoming him to the show. Right. Uh, cause I can't talk to you guys. I don't know if you are welcome. What if I don't like you? What if you're one of my enemies? Uh, right. I feel like they, they're also welcome though. Welcome to you church know? and other drugs. Not you, Chad. Yeah. <laughs> Screw Chad though. Yeah. You're right. When you're right, you're right. Can I um, also say that Seth is not welcome too? Yeah, dude. That guy sucks. Fuck that guy. Uh, yeah, so I, I want to give a shout out to... <laughs> My boy Chance, not the rapper, who is a Patreon. He is at a Circa Survive show right now, and he's wearing a Church and Other Drugs shirt. And he said he got four people to subscribe. Nice. Because they were like, what is that weird-ass shirt? Not really. They're probably like, bro, right. dude, like, how do I be like you, Chance? Stranger? <laughs> yeah. He's like, Chance, what? not the rapper? Chance, not the rapper. Yeah. Yeah. Not even close to the rapper. Um, So, it is 10.30, Saturday night. Yep. I've been depressed all day. Um, Before this call, I've been spending my time. I was watching. <laughs> yeah, tell them about this shit, I, <laughs> So, I, <laughs> I started with the saddest songs from the legend of Korra soundtrack, which is, it's beautiful music by the way, but such a specific, go on. I'm sorry. And so, uh, from there I just YouTubed. I, well, this was me. It's your fault. Cause I was waiting for you to get on. But after that, I YouTubed, uh, saddest movie scenes. And I'm just been going through like three minute clips of like the saddest scenes in movie history and, uh, crying. Come them. on, give me give me some of the saddest scenes. Let's uh, hear it. Well, I just watched um, the scene in Crash where that little girl gets shot. Uh, I just watched um, the end of Requiem for a Dream. Um, right, okay. I just watched that scene in Candy where uh, the baby dies. Oh my gosh. Um, the scene where... Edward Norton's uh, brother gets shot in American History X. Um, maybe I should Man. stop, dude. Okay, hold on. Did you watch the part in uh, Forrest Gump where he says he's not a smart man, oh but he knows what's Oh, my God, bro. That made me cry just thinking. No, 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 not that part. No, no, no. The saddest part in Forrest Gump is when, at the very end, he goes in and sees his son, and he asks Jenny, he's like, is he like is?" Is he like me? And she's like, no. Right. He's smart. And he's like, oh, okay, okay. That, that really makes me cry. Just thinking. That's so sweet and sad. And sure, yeah. That's, That's kind of how I feel about my daughter. You know, 
I'm constantly asking the doctor, is she like me? And they're like, no, she's normal. I'm like, oh, thank God. (laughs) Just stop. (laughs) Yes, the doctor is, 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 is she, is she like me? Yeah, they're like, no, thank God. Uh, She's fine. Dude, this, this is one of the suggested, (laughs) one of the suggested playlists. Uh, guess what it's called? Like, you know, YouTube gives you like next suggestions. Right. Is it called? Songs to it is called uh, I, it is called songs to kill yourself to I, I I don't want to say it but it is called parents watching their children getting murdered like it's movie oh scene that is so specific like what yeah Weird, yeah well look yes it is your sock oh I was good. and here's the coup de gras the Fresh Prince of Bel Air episode where Will's father leaves and he has that speech with Uncle Phil and he's like. I didn't need him to tell me how to play basketball. I learned that by myself. And then at the end, he breaks down. He's like, why he didn't want me, man? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, sitcoms used to get real from time to time. They did, man. They got really real. Yeah. Like, there was this one from Different Strokes. There was an episode where, like, where, like, um, the kids get, like, molested. Really? Yeah. Whoa, that's heavy. Isn't Different Strokes the one with uh, Willis? And um, which one's the one that um, has the uh, little kid, the the guy that's like... Uh, yeah, what you talking about, Willis? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, he wasn't a little strokes? kid. He was a, a, a little person. Um, Gary Coleman? Yeah. I think that was Different Strokes. Let well, me see here. Different Strokes. Oh, that's first hit. Different Strokes, Child Molester. Yeah, so I guess it is. The yeah. Bicycle it was Man. A, Yo, that it was is a two, creepy. It was a two-parter, dude. Oh, my power just came back on. Oh, did it really? It, yeah. You want to pause and cool. switch switch audio so it would be like a crazy contrast? Yeah, that's cool. All right, All right I'm going to go inside and see if my internet is... St- All right, yeah, I'll call you from Skype. All right. Yeah, so, and we're back. Yeah, we're back, guys. You're welcome. Now, I mean, welcome. Yeah, I mean, everyone's welcome. Uh, so uh, during the during the break that you guys didn't experience, I made the mistake of watching uh, that different Strokes clip. I don't like that at all. You watched it? Yeah, it's a t- it's actually a two parter episode. And I, I and- just no, go ahead. He takes Gary Coleman in the back and he offers him like ice cream. Yeah. All, yeah. all kind of sprinkles and all kind of extra stuff. And he's like, hey, you know, why don't you not tell anybody about this whole ice cream deal? It'll just be our little secret. Yeah. And he's like, okay, yeah, that sounds great because I don't want anyone knowing anyways. And then it shows the grooming process, dude. Yeah, it's really – it's Well, and, it, I, so, and of course YouTube's got like uh, scholars that do the work for you and put them in the comments section. But apparently that the actor uh, volunteered for it because he's a father and a grandfather and he wanted to like – show kids like how to keep themselves safe and apparently it like you know you can't really play a character like that and then expect to get a like it really boned his career yeah, they were like good job man you really nailed that child molester right so yeah. you nailed it so well in fact that yeah nobody really wants you to be in their movies anymore in fact we have some questions for you right down at the station right there have been accusations. No, no need to get a lawyer, though, but just just follow yeah. us. 
Gary Coleman is, let's just say, yeah, I, I got nothing. Gary Coleman is America's sweetheart, and you don't cross him, right. even in TV, dude. So we, you guys just missed out on some content. Is that, are we allowed to say that, Jeff? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go back and edit some stuff. Look, let's just say whatever was, look. Whatever was edited out, it was pretty great, and you guys, you're all worse for not hearing it. Oh, all right, well, let's talk about, speaking of, of bonus content, let's talk about uh, Jed and Brad's Comedy Half Hour, and then the new segment. Oh, yeah. I, I'm. It's just called, hold on, let me think here. I don't want to mess this up, because I, I know the episode where we talked about Inside the Flat Hollow Earth was yes. a big hit. It was. It was I, I'm getting many requests about more conspiracy ramblings. It was a big hit, and so what we're going to do for you guys is we're going to come back with a segment called Brad's True Conspiracy Facts. Okay, these aren't theories. These are not guys. theories. They're not theories. These you know are what facts. A theory is? You know what a theory is? Untestable, not, uh, right. false, uh, right. not true. Um, or, you know, well. it's, it's not a theory like like uh, Space or Neil deGrasse Tyson or right. – um, you know, uh, women that are nice to you or right. These are things that could happen, but don't usually or ever happen. Right. That would be look. that was funny. I, I, but just so you speak for yourself, cause there are some women that are nice to me. Your mother does not count. What does, all right. I'm not going to say this, but I want to <laughs> go back to Miriam. Okay. Because I feel like, does your mother count? If your mom's nice to me, that counts. Yeah, okay, yes. Yeah, that counts. But Angie uh-huh. does not count for you. But she counts for you. She counts for me. Yeah. Well, Brad, Brad's mom looks like Michelle Pfeiffer. Thank you. No, Take that We've been saying that since middle school. And look, that is a fact. You know? That is and a that... fact. That is not a conspiracy theory. That is a conspiracy fact. Right. Michelle Pfeiffer went into hiding, gave birth to Brad. <laughs> and became my mother. And became his mother. Look, after the point... Listen, after Tim Burton directed her in... Batman Returns. She was mm-hmm. like, "I'm done with this. I'm going to take my paycheck. I'm going to buy a farm in South Carolina. I'm going right. to raise a son. Um, mm-hmm. Then I'm going to send him to jail. And then yep. uh, that did happen. And then, they're all true facts. <laughs> and then true I'm going to get him a Monte Carlo. Uh, right. It was tight. That was a sweet car. It, but it was it was the look. It was a sweet car. Past tense. <laughs> Yeah, it was. <laughs> I remember. I was, the, do you remember when me, you, do you remember when me, you, and Jake smoked salvia in there, and I we like. I remember when you smoked salvia in there. Was I, I the I don't only remember. one? Well, I just know that if I smoked it, I wouldn't remember that. But there was a time where you smoked it, and I was and I there. Like, I like got trapped in the form of a box, and I. <laughs> all yeah. I remember was rambling about Sherwood Forest and. Uh, Robin Hood. Yeah. Wait. Because there is a Sherwood Forest in Baton Rouge. That's funny. That is funny. Yeah, do but you, like back then it would have made sense. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, no, I was thinking of Sherwood Forest of Robin Hood. Right. Like, anyway. Specifically, yeah. You should. Do you remember? Conspiracy facts, folks. I don't want yeah, you guys sorry. to forget this. I, Look, <laughs> yeah, we're going to be go doing back. this. We're going to be doing a segment. It's going to be called Brad's Conspiracy Facts. Um, and you're, you can back all this up, all right? What we're going to do is we're going to just present to you the facts, okay? All this is easily verifiable. I'm not going to tell Jed 
what I'm going to do is I'm going to give Jed kind of like a list of questions that he can ask me, and then I'm going to go into more detail. So he's not going to know about it. I'm going to be he's... playing the straight man. I'm going to be playing devil's advocate. I'm going to be grilling yeah. him hard about these yes. conspiracy facts. Um, I'm going to be asking for sources, uh, personal yes. experience. We're going to uh, give – yeah. Well, g- yeah. Give a, just give a brief example of the one that, the the most recent one that you uncovered. Well, I don't want to go into too much detail. Don't go into detail. Just give them, give them the fact. Give them the conspiracy fact. The conspiracy fact is this. All right, the song Footloose is about demonic possession. Okay, that's a fact, and I can back this up with m- multiple sources, and it goes deep. It's not just the song. Okay. It also applies to the movie, and yeah, that's right. Now, and, and Brad sent me a transcript of his of his digging on this, and so it says yeah. here that take off your Sunday shoes is in fact a denunciation of Christ. That's correct. Yes, and we've been we as Americans have been singing along to the devil's right. lullaby for. 20 years now. The devil's lullaby. That's I like how you put that. That's correct. Well, it is, and it says here. It says here that pop music, this uh-huh. is mind-blowing, ladies and gentlemen, pop music mm-hmm. stands for powers or principalities. Yeah. Now, Brad, when you told me that, I, I got to admit, I went and burned every radio I own. All right? Uh, I'm, well, going to, I, I'm going to pick it, the MTV Movie Awards, the, the MTV Music Video Awards, um, VH1's got to go. What, what does right. that stand for? Uh, very harmful, one world government, <laughs> one world <laughs> Look, order. Jed, look, I don't want, look, <laughs> I'm sorry, I feel like you're going a little too I went a far. Little too far. I went a little this too far. is conspiracy but, facts, Jed. Uh, yeah, I'm, so, excuse me, excuse me. That, and that's that, why I'm embellishing. I, right, because the thing is, I had to use the older songs, because these things, they come out so quick, that I, there's just so much, it's information overload. You know, so obviously, for me to make sure it's a fact, I really had to dig deep. And I just want to say, it's not just the song, okay? This is the movie, too. That's right. The Baconator is involved. So, you, the now, Baconator. I did hear, the uh, before we close, it says that uh, the name Bacon, in fact, is a subtle middle finger to Muslims and Jewish people. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Hiding right beneath right. our noses. Yes, and look, Jen. I feel, I feel, I feel. Look, these are facts. These are facts, guys. Okay. Now, anyway, so I hope you're excited to hear it because we're excited to bring it to you. It's going to be great, guys. Conspiracy facts. Well, let's get to the interview now. (laughs) That was just a brief snippet of. You know what's not? You know what is not a conspiracy theory is. uh, Church and other drugs has great interviews, and. uh, Here's one. We got Megan and Bobby from the Addictionary podcast. Uh, they are a father and daughter recovered uh, family. I love it. Yeah, very good.
Cause I won't let them know I won't let you go, baby I don't care what your past is I don't need no answers Just have faith in me Don't you know your secrets That's like that's the most that's it's okay that happened I get jet jet Jeb Ned a lot so I'm perfectly sure. fine. I'm sorry. Blame it on the accent. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so what uh what are y'all's day jobs? I'm an actor, Jed. Are you really? Yeah, I've, I've done oh maybe fifty movies. <laughs> No kidding. I play, I play a lot of gangster roles in the independents, but I do major movies, do big budget movies. What have you done? If you go watch the movie Stronger, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh-huh. when he's in Fenway, at the, the uh, Clancy Brown's, they're pushing him through Fenway in the wheelchair. He's playing Jeff Bowman, you know, the marathon victim. Uh-huh. You'll see this old dude walk up to the wheelchair, kneel down, and give him a speech in a... Then when I get up, you'll see me at first from the back and then from the side. They cut most of it, but, you know, you can still see me and hear my voice. But that's one of the last ones I've done, you know. Oh, that's awesome. That's what my uh, – because New Orleans is like Hollywood South, so that's what my wife's trying to break into. She's just doing a bunch of background work right now. Well, I want to start working the Atlanta scene. Down Atlanta's big, man. Really It is, big. yeah. Like, because Louisiana – like we always do shot ourselves in the fucking foot and they were like well no more tax breaks so they were like okay well we'll move to atlanta then yeah atlanta, atlanta's big atlanta's where they're all going to you know so you know, a couple of my buddies are down there they're working all the time so i just have to finish up a few projects and i want to start working bounce back and forth you know oh yeah Jed, I don't know how he does it. This guy is on set for like 20-something hours straight, like, and he is no spring chicken, and I literally couldn't do it. These guys are on their feet for hours at a time. It's that's, insane. That's what with, with my, like, I always, like, I, I, I tried it out once, and, well, actually, my, so this is my one, my one movie, uh, my one foray into trying to be a movie extra was, uh, it was some, uh, what is the Belushi that's still alive? What is his name? Jim, 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 Jim. It was some movie with Jim Belushi, and it was a uh, high school basketball scene, and we were in the crowd, and they gave us all like prop nachos, and <laughs> I was really stoned, and I was starving, and I look over, and I, I see this this giant dude just munching down on the nachos. I was like, okay, I guess they're good to eat. So I ate them and then realized that like they had been using the same prop nachos for like five days and I got oh. violently ill and had to leave and I didn't yes. get paid. So <laughs> that's awful. I've yeah. eaten a few. I've eaten a few props myself. <laughs> it was so the the worst part was it was so delicious at the time and then 
I just puked and puked and puked. And so I was there for like 13 hours, but did not get paid for any of it. Cause like, if you leave, you can't get paid. And I was like, well, okay, I'm leaving still. You know, Jed, everyone thinks it's a glamorous job, right? But it, it's not really, it's not easy, you know, and it's not glamorous. I just finished, um, 10 episodes with, um, on Stephen King's Castle Rock series. Oh, no way. That's yeah, awesome. I'm a, I'm a prisoner, right? We make a, we do a jail, we do a jailbreak. I get shot. You'll see me at the end. I got a big shotgun hole in my side. Nice. Oh, but they, awesome. they had flying on the floor for like three hours, you know, in a <laughs> dead still position. Wow. And, you know, the next day my ass was killing me. My feet. <laughs> so it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it can get pretty pretty rough, you know? Megan, what do you do? Well, so I kind of have, like, a real job. Like, <laughs> Don't get, say that. Don't. No, I'm just kidding. No, because the, the humor in that is that um, I actually don't. I'm a student in a clinical psychology doctoral program. So nice. I, I have, like, my classes all day or my internship. Um, and then I just do, like, a ridiculous amount of like advocacy work with the whole opioid crisis movement, especially mm-hmm. in Massachusetts. So I kind of like go nonstop. Plus I have the podcast that I pretty much like run most of it. So it's a lot. I do a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, uh, I just started my, uh, my CIT counselor in training. I'm a substance abuse counselor for, uh, at an adolescent treatment center. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's they're they're <laughs> so ridiculous. But I figure if I can cut my teeth here, then like everything else will just be a cakewalk. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And there's a whole different like that's the one population with substance use that I just have not wrapped my head around yet as to how to even talk to these kids. I'll let you know when I figure it out. Yeah, yeah, please do, because one of my places next year is going to be with um, adolescents, so I'm going to need it, some insight. It, it's it's pretty much, it's just you go in there, and you're just like, all I'm really doing is planting a seed, and exactly. that's all you can do. There's like, you know, there's going to be the handful that you just can kind of use that as a scared straight program, and they're not real dear. Their parents just freaked out, and those kids might actually like really turn their shit around, but... A lot of them, you know, they're going to go back out, but hopefully they'll remember something I said and eventually get sober. Exactly. Now, what ages uh, are they? This uh, is 13 to 17. Yeah. So we, you would have a fucking hard time with me, brother. <laughs> That's Well, in me, I was in rehab when I was 15, and it's just like, it's it's sweet, delicious karma. I'm just getting everything, <laughs> all the shit I used to give my counselors, I'm now getting back. <laughs> yep. So true. Oh, shit. So, so I want to hear y'all, and I'm sure everyone will be interested in your story. So, how did you go from prisoner to playing a prisoner? <laughs> life, that's life a, imitating art. That's, that's imitating. a good one. You know, uh, it, it just was a just by chance. Uh, a friend of mine um, owns Boston Casting, and uh, she bumped into my wife one day and said, "You know." You tell Bobby to get over here. We we have a role for him in the fighter, you know. Yeah, but back but backtrack all the way to the beginning as to how you went from a drug addict to now what you're doing now. I I can't I, I don't have an answer for that. I I was one of those abusers that what was the word you used? Uh, Juvenile delinquent? No, the abuser. Every six months I get. Oh, out. chronic relapse. Yeah, chronic relapser. Relapser for like ten years, you know, trying to you know. 
I mean, I detoxed in jail a few times. I remember detoxing in, in jail on New Year's Eve when they had the riots and fires. And I'm dope sick in my cell because I told the judge I was only doing one bag a day before he sent me, you know, sent me away. And so not thinking that once I got to jail, they didn't give me the full detox treatment because they said, oh, he's only doing one bag. And really, I was doing 10. So when I got there, they cut me off after two or three days of my meds because they thought I didn't need them. So I, I ended up freaking out. And They actually gave you all detox meds there? Well, they give you the clonidine. They give you... Uh, Bental. Yeah, nothing. Not like They don't give you methadone or anything, but whatever okay. they were me, giving me helped me you know, get through it to a point. And then they shut me off after three days and I freaked out. <laughs> I ended up in lockup and then the riots on New Year's Eve. I'm dope sick and they're burning styrofoam containers. I'm breathing in the smoke. It was the worst. I think that did it for me. I really do. <laughs> no, no, it didn't. No, here's the, here's the thing with my dad's story. Is he's like your, like, you know... The, the kid that, like, got written off as a juvenile delinquent, like, criminally insane, you know, habitual school offender, running away, going to reform school, living, like, you know, out of, you know, trains on the railroad tracks and just, like, figuring out how to survive in life as a kid and then being turned on to society and then, like, you know, having to friggin' figure out how to be an adult. And so... It's really like a remarkable story of somebody who came from like the worst possible horrific conditions you can possibly imagine to like eventually getting off drugs and um, reconnecting with me at a point in my life where now I'm in recovery and um, being able to like make this show that we have and somehow model for other people that not only can you come out of the depths of your own addiction, but you can actually heal the relationships in your family and come to a place where you guys actually like being around each other and have fun and it's life is fun again. So who so who sobered up first? Um so it was my dad first and then it wasn't a whole long time after that I fell into the depths of my addiction. And so it's really kind of interesting when you look at that pattern of of him, you know, owning the chaotic family member role leaving it behind and then not long after me jumping in and taking the place and like owning that very seamlessly. So were you like completely sober before? So like, did he sober up and then you started using or that's just like when it got bad? Um, no, that was pretty much like he sobered up and then within maybe like five years, I was getting going with the cocaine for a year and then like, as soon as Oxy's entered the picture, it was a wrap. Yeah. So, Just a wrap. So, Bobby, were you in prison when she was growing up? Give me, like, give me some, some background and timeline here. Yeah, I, I, well, I've been doing, you know, I, I went to my first reform school at, at like 12 or 13 years old, and I hit about three or four of them by the time I was 18. So, but yeah, she was, when she was about four or five, I was doing time, and I remember a story. Do you want to hear the story? Yeah, the story. I told the story on our podcast, but and it's kind of funny because I ended up going back to the same house of corrections that I visited him at when I was a little kid and gave a speech to guys that were sitting in the same friggin' chairs that he had been sitting in at one point, and it was like Whoa. life. Yeah, it was trippy, man. It was like really like life coming full circle. But she come up to visit me, and uh, 
and she, you know, her mother took her up, and she asked him, Dad, what's with the barbed wire? Why, why all these barbed wire? I told her it was a camp. She didn't know it was a jail. You know, I told her it was a, it was a camp. <laughs> so I said, those wires, they, you know, they're there to keep the bears out, you know? No. That's funny. <laughs> then she says, well, why do the guys have guns? I said, well, they're pretty big bears, maybe. <laughs> and, and her being an animal lover says, no, they don't shoot them, do they? I said, no, they just scare them away with those guns. Yeah. So she, oh, man. she remembered that story, and she told it to the you know, the inmates at Bill Ricker House of Correction recently when she made her, you know, speech up there. Yeah, wild. Well, yeah. so, and I know it's it's easy to talk about now, but so how hard was that? So were you in, was it all like drug-related crimes you were in there for? Yeah, yeah, they were all drugs and weapons. Weapons go with drugs, you know. Oh, you, of course, of course. Yeah. Like <laughs> so peanut butter and jelly, like, yeah. got you. So uh, it was drugs and guns, you know, and, uh, because because uh, uh, I remember I just did five months, um, which is not comparably long, but it's long enough to get to get the gist. And the the most difficult thing was the thinking about uh, girlfriends and loved ones moving on and stuff. It's like so, like how was it having a full fledged family out there, and then just being stuck in this purgatory? Well. You know, I got used to that as a young age. I remember 13, 14 years old, being in reform school, going to bed at 8 o'clock at night in the summer. It's still light out. And I used to think about my friends hanging out down the park. And, you know, it was torture. And then, you know, after, after a while, you get used to it. Once you go in there, you just block everything out, you know. It's just, mm-hmm. it's a whole new world. And you forget about the outside world because you're dead to the outside world once you're in there, you yeah. know. So I just block it out, and I, I I don't think about it. Of course, you know the days when your family comes to visit you, and you know it it, it it's you know it hits you, you know. Yeah. How but, long was your longest term? Uh, two and a half years. Mm. So but, straight. Megan, you Megan, were. Did yeah. you ever end up going to prison? So or- I got arrested one at one point, like right before my youth started getting really out of hand. Um, but like I was bailed out and like, I never actually like went to jail. I was in a holding cell for a few hours and was lucky enough that the bail bondsman came out on a Friday before. Oh, oh, l- lucky. <laughs> lucky. I was lucky. Yeah. Friday morning is about the worst time to get arrested. Yeah. Especially on a holiday weekend. No kidding. Oh man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When I went in, it was around Christmas too, so the courts were all closed for Christmas and New Year's, and oh awful. man, that's the worst. So how? So what was your path, Megan? So how did? Well, Bobby. So did you? Did did you sober up in your last stint, and then just stayed sober, or like how did you finally end up getting sober? AA willpower. It was, you know, it was a, a gradual thing, you know. I just eventually just got tired of the bullshit. You know, I had been in business, believe it or not, I had been in business for like, oh, 20 some odd years. I owned two carpet stores. I owned a bar, a, a restaurant. I owned 12 pieces of property. Don't ask me how I did it, Jed, please. Don't ask. I don't know how. <laughs> it was all illegal money, you know. I feel like with the accent, the next thing that was coming was like cement mixing company, you know, <laughs> uh, baseball bat factory. Yeah. No, no, no. 
you know, I had, I had two boats. I had a, a 47-footer in, in Charlestown, and next door, in the marina next door, I had a 28 Pro Line. I had condos on both sides, both coasts of Florida, and Waterdale and Fort Myers. I had, you know, I was moving some serious weight, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, life was crazy. And, like, you know, when you think about it now, when I think about it now, like, I was young when all of that shit was going on, so I wasn't, like, consciously aware of it. But what a wild upbringing to have as a child. So, you know, we think about, like, all of that chaos and then both of our addiction taking off the way that it did and then both of us now in recovery, mind you, in, in very unconventional means. You asked my dad, how did he do it? Like, neither one of us are 12-step people. He went to detox or maybe rehab or whatever you want to call it. They, they like, forcibly committed him to a psychiatric hospital back before, like, laws existed to force people. <laughs> yeah. We'll make yeah. a new law for you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, like, that was his only inpatient stay. Like, for me, I went to a detox and was out, like, maybe 10 hours later and then just detoxed myself in my house and got on the Vivitrol shot. So, like, we both have figured out a way to do this and maintain it in ways that people and providers, clinicians, and people in recovery told us we would never be able to do it. And so it's remarkable that I've been able to have a model for me to show me that like, hey, you still have some autonomy here. You may have no control over your use, but you have all the control and the power over your recovery. You can make this look and become whatever you want it to be. It's totally up to you. What about, so, uh, what about God? Does that come into play? So, you know, it's funny, like, I, I called my dad an atheist the other day, and he, I think, was took offense to it. The truth is, is we were we are both raised in Irish, Italian, Catholic households, and so we we are very, very spiritual people. But um, And, like, I pray to God, but we also pray to our loved ones that have passed over. So we mm-hmm. definitely believe in a higher power, but just not the traditional, probably, way in which we were raised. You know, sure. Jeff, the last time I went to church, I think it was about 10 or 11 years old, Father Sullivan snuck up behind me because I was lighting a fire by in, in the this old oak tree in the hollow of a oak tree, and he cracked me, he cracked me on the side of the head so fucking hard I almost went. <laughs> and that was the last time I went to church. <laughs> well, so would you say? Well, because I'm trying, I'm everything you said about like clinicians and everyone would be like, that's never going to work. That is all running through my head. So, so how? What do you do? So. Is spirituality a big part of maintaining it? So, like, what's your day-to-day? Is it even hard to maintain? Like, No, it really isn't. I, and I don't use spirituality. I just uh, I, I just got tired of that life. And, I, and, and yeah. time, time was going by. And, you know, I, I mean, you know, you're making all kinds of money and you're not happy. I mean, something's wrong, you know, so... Yeah, but you, I consider you a very spiritual person because you believe in people that are crossed over and you've had these oh, kind yeah, of... Oh, yeah, yeah, but like, I just don't go to church and pray. Yeah, know. not religion, but... Well, yeah, 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 sure, sure. And are y'all are y'all both, like, 100% abstinent? Oh, yeah. Well, well, well he drinks socially... As do right. I, and so we're not. We don't. We don't. We're fully abstinent from you know cocaine and opiates and heroin and. Believe it or not, for the past fifteen years, I go to social events. I'll have a beer or two, and that's it. And that is insane. That's so. Like, how does it? Well, it, no. I mean, not that. Like, I'm discounting it. I have. You're. You're just now two more of the like handful of people of like hardcore, IV heroin cocaine addicts that just like stopped and like they can handle the occasional 
beer and stuff now, and that just baffles me. I have friends that can't have one beer because once one beer and they're off and running, you know, I could never understand that. But I was like that with cocaine. You, I couldn't just do one line. I do one line and you'll see me 10 days later with a beard stuck in a hotel room, you know, dodging freight uh, race cars in the <laughs> hotel room, you know. <laughs> so I'm like that with cocaine, but not with alcohol, uh, not with beer. I, I can have a couple of beers and, it, you know. The, the thing that's kind of fascinating about that, Jed, though, is like, you say like, oh, we were just able to stop. Like I was not just able to stop and, and he wasn't either. But, but but when I say just stop, like I mean specifically for him, cocaine and opiates for me, opiates. And like that battle went on for years of trying to figure out a way to actually wrap my head around the fact that like I could give this up and actually stay on that path. But I think, you know, I think we are examples of what this opioid epidemic has created. And that's the fact that cross addiction is not a piece of everybody's story and it, it's not a piece of ours. And so I think when we look at like the mass number of people that ended up being full blown opioid addicts and not so much him because he was before the epidemic, but certainly me of like, that means we need to update our treatment responses. We need to abolish whatever antiquated definitions of recovery we have and say that everybody must be abstinent of all substances because you will never thrive in this world if you don't. And it's like, clearly that's not the case for both of us. And that's actually not the case for a lot of people. My goal is in the treatment that I do is to like hear more of those stories because they are out there. We just can't silence them and then expect to hear from them and learn from them and figure out what these people are doing. You know no. what I mean? I think you're you're dead right. I I think like the the key to and and I see I used to be up until you know semi recently in the past few years like absolutely I, I would consider y'all not sober and like that would have been the end of the conversation right. But, but you know what, like Jed, that's why I don't use the word sober. I I like very tactfully don't use the word sober. I use the word recovery, and that's because like everybody has the right to their opinion. And I would say that if I'm drinking, you know, occasionally, and when I say occasionally, like, I'm not saying like the drug addict occasionally, like I'm saying like legitimately occasionally, like I might have a beer once every, what, like two months, three months. Like I, like I, I've gone like, and it's not like it's a conscious thing. It's just, I just sometimes will do it socially and just sometimes won't. So, but I, that people have that opinion of like oh but she's not she's not really sober and so my question to that would be like at the end of the day what does it matter if you're seeing two people thrive like maybe if i was like maintaining like a you know regular old job and not really doing a whole lot with my life but like i'm about to be a clinical psychologist in a few years like he's living out his dream you know what i mean so it's kind of like nobody can tell you that right And, and it's like honestly that is more than some 100% abstinent people that are just bare knuckling it and their lives are miserable and all that stuff. Totally. Exactly. And I, I, I think, we I think, oh, go ahead. <laughs> I love, I love Skype for this reason. I know. Uh, <laughs> no, I just, we just say like whatever it is that works for you to get you where you need to be and however you conceptualize your thriving in life. And that's really the key, right? Is like for us, it's not about just surviving and maintaining a mundane existence it is really about doing whatever your calling is feeling fulfilled and actually thriving and so that's what we talk about yeah and i think that's the place that that i've landed at especially after losing a huge amount of friends here lately um that may still be alive if they would have just tried suboxone for a while you know or you know a lot of things um and i think 
for the recovery community as a whole to survive, we're going to have to have like a meeting of, of, of the minds and a meet in the middle. Because I, I think a lot of the reason 12-steppers and abstinence people wouldn't, you know, wouldn't classify, like, are not cool with people that drink is like, A, probably at the end of the day, it's a little bit of jealousy. It's a little bit of like, well, if I can't do it, they shouldn't be able to do it. And the fact is some people can do it. Um, and then there's the danger of like the people that can't do it will just look at that and be like, oh, well, I'm like them, so yeah. I can do it. And then that's a thing, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, which I'm sure you've encountered. No, I agree with you 110%. And I think about that frequently when we share our story. It's like, yeah, we have to be truthful to our experience, but I also don't want to give somebody the wrong impression because everybody's story is definitely different. And so I think that's an important piece to remember. I mean, I just think for me, it's, it's everybody has their own trajectory and everybody is pretty solid in their belief in some way, shape or form. And sometimes we fall on one end of the spectrum. Sometimes we fall on the other, but there's room for all of us. Like no, no yes. one person has to be right about this. Right. And I think that's really just like a characteristic of, like alcoholic mentality of like this, like being all or nothing, nothing and extremist. And yeah, really it's, you know, especially dealing with opiates where like the threat of death is just so real. It's like, look, man, whatever, whatever we can do to keep you alive and then just have a good life. Then like, let's do that. Like, and keep you alive long enough to get to a place in which you can thrive. Like that's what my is with like the whole, like I'm pro suboxone methadone for short term duration as as my dad. Like we talk about it on the show. Like long there's no long term maintenance shit. Like I don't know where it came from. It, it's not how either one of the medications were originally designed and I think it's actually impacted people in a more of a negative way than a positive way cuz oh, yeah. I was on for 3 years. Yeah, and I mean like think about what it was and I don't know your experience but like my guess is it was a, probably a bitch to come off of that. It was unbelievable. unbelievable it was like 45 days of like 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 primary uh withdrawals and then you know months of post-acute like it was awful yeah but i mean we both know where it comes from though it's just you know money that's where the that's where the whole i think you should be on this forever came from right yep Yep. and it's crazy but like you hear some hospitals and i'm not going to name any names that are in the massachusetts area that advocate for lifelong medication assisted treatment which the only time I think I'm okay with that is for the 70-year-old IV heroin addict that has been shooting up for 47 years and like there's just no other option. You know Ag- what I mean? Like agreed 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And somebody who can responsibly handle that medication and isn't going to just use it to sell it to, you know. Right. That's dope. the other big thing too. Which, you know, none of the physicians with the whole medical model really want to Pay attention to the fact that the withdrawals from suboxone and methadone are the two worst of all time. Yeah, absolutely. Like, what is long-term maintenance actually doing for people? It's I've never seen in my experience, and I could be totally wrong, but I've never seen somebody really thrive in life as long as they're on those medications. They're doing great, and they're they're alive, and they're doing way better than they had been. But like, I think we're capable as addicts of far more than that. And I actually, when we talk about this whole stigma. It's like I find it incredibly stigmatizing for somebody to tell me that I have to be on a medication for the rest of my life in order to actually enjoy it. It's true. It's really it's treating it's it's yeah, it's chemical hand it's like chemical slavery, it's chemical handcuffs. It's saying like you are this lesser 
citizen. So the only way we have figured out how to handle you is to just numb you out, give you your little your little chemical, and just go in the corner and go work at McDonald's. Yeah, totally. And I can go like totally conspiracy theory or <laughs> theorist here. Oh, let's go right? do it. <laughs> but like we could also say that addicts and alcoholics when not engaged in active addiction are the thought leaders, the outside the box thinkers and the revolutionaries of our time. And that to me, um, if I was somebody that wanted to maintain mass control over an entire society, would that would be a huge threat to me. So think about it. Oh, yeah. We're, we're capable of doing some wildly innovative, productive, world changing shit and we should be allowed to do it. Yeah. Amen to that for sure. <laughs> So, so what kind of advocacy stuff have you gotten into? Um, so I did a lot of stuff with the stigma movement in Massachusetts last year. And I actually was kind of like split about my work and eventually decided to kind of bow out gracefully from that particular um, group that I was involved in. Because the whole movement at that point was like, let's change the language and let's not call people addicts and junkies. And let's use people with substance use disorder, which sounds very ironic for me to even have like a critique of because that is the world in which I live in. (laughs) Um, But I have a huge problem with somebody telling me how I can refer to myself. And I also think that when we start to censor people and go way to PC, you actually shut down the conversation entirely. Yeah. Because people that don't have the lived experience then start getting really paranoid about how sensitive they're supposed to be with how they talk to and about people like us. And because they get so uncomfortable, they then decide to like just not engage at all. And that gets us nowhere. And so I'd rather people talk to me and use language that somebody else, not me, defines as offensive than not have the conversation at all. Oh, yeah. Totally agree on that. So, And, es- and especially like – no, we'll keep going. No, I was gonna, no, no, go ahead. I was just going to say the stigma is kind of just like one piece of all that. but Yeah. Uh, and – it's especially like I wish the amount of people that really are like I wish that there could be proper numbers on like how widespread like all this stuff is. Oh, that's my phone alarm. That's good. Um, <laughs> Don't you love that? Yeah, interview. <laughs> that's what it says. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, Jed, from two days ago. Um, yeah, like especially like dealing with my treatment center, you know, the main problem I found out is the parents and like the parents' friends and like everybody's got an Adderall prescription, everyone's got a Xanax prescription, yep. everybody, you know, and it's like, it's just crazy. The, uh, did you see, do you happen to check out that, um, take your pills documentary on Netflix I, about Adderall? I just started watching it the other day. I haven't finished watching it, but that's, oh, it's so crazy. good. But I mean, like, that's insane. Like, Somebody texts me that, and they're like, oh, the next epidemic is the Adderall. And I'm like, oh, God, come on. Like, really? And then, like, I look, I watch it, and I'm like, no, this is this is the silent epidemic, really. It is, because it's so useful. That's why you got all the journalists, and, like, and Bobby, maybe you can speak to, like, uh, people working long hours, I mean, and, like, writers, and it's a very useful drug. Like, I loved it when I was on it. Of course I did. Like, everybody would. It's just speed. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> I know people that take it, but I I don't know what the reason is. I guess it it, it helps them focus. I guess. Well, yeah, back in your day, it was the Desoxin, super yeah. super duper Adderall, Black Beauties and Bennies. Yeah, yeah, yeah the Black Beauties, Bennies. I, I go back to the uh, 
you know, orange sunshine acid, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I have a friend that, you know, he he tells me he takes Adderall and it helps him focus when he's, you know, studying his lines and stuff. Yeah. I I don't, if that's, but he has, you know, he's kind of like ADHD. I'm not, he has, he has, you know, diagnosable condition. Yeah. So imagine it, you know, it helps him. Good, good luck to him. You know, I I don't know. I never tried it. I I have no need for it. I I always lost my mind every time I took it. (laughs) Yeah. I would eventually. And that's, well, see, and it's like, yes, you do. And then I think, I think there's a large portion of the population that is, maybe this is conspiratorial, but I feel like they are, and they just don't even realize it. They think that they, that is just how they are. Yes. And it's like, I don't think you realize that there are side effects to benzos and speed. Like, no, they're subtle, but. No, that's no joke. That's like a client that I that I have that um, is prescribed Vyvanse. And it's like, we're constantly doing work around sleep hygiene and getting proper sleep and right. not getting interrupted sleep. And it's like, bro, you're taking 60 milligrams of Vyvanse at 8 p.m. And you want to talk to me about let's work on how we can right. listen to your sleep pattern? How about you stop taking the Vyvanse? Right. Like, <laughs> but no, a doctor gave it to me, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah which, right. by the way, is still crazy because you would think that with all of the really um, tight prescribing practices that they've implemented, especially in Massachusetts with regards to opioids, that they'd be translating that to other medications. And, like, I have clients with no documented history whatsoever of ADHD that are prescribed stimulants like Adderall and Vyvanse, which is crazy. Right. Well, it's well, it's literally it's the same game. It, it, it's but it's not. It's because you know, okay, doctors are getting kickbacks kickbacks for overprescribing opioids. Government cracks down. Okay, what else can we do? What do we got? Well, we got all this leftover speed from the '60s. Let's remarket that. <laughs> you met, <Matt>, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it's it's so transparent. It's crazy, but it's just nobody wants to talk about it because the people in charge are probably benefiting from it, and it's just yep, it's frustrating. Oh, it's true. And so what like what's the Massachusetts scene like? Like we talking tons of deaths? Oh, uh, ridiculous amount of deaths! Yeah. yeah, sadly, yeah. I don't even know what the numbers are right now. I think uh, I'm probably going to misquote this, but I want to say it's around like five a day. God, that might be a little high though. I don't know. I gotta. I have. To, I I know like the national average right now is somewhere around 175, and Massachusetts is of the higher states it's you know and the thing is too is like we're on the coast so i don't know if anybody who's listening has any familiarity with you know drugs in towns where there's you know a harbor or ships come in or whatever but we have a lot of those and um that's no joke like that really is where the heroin comes in is is into the oh yeah new orleans too yeah exactly exactly so massachusetts oh man I, and like I said, I don't, I've never really like traveled a whole lot across the country. So I don't really know what other states look like, but I just, I just know Massachusetts has been in rough shape since the beginning. My high school was one of the worst high schools with Oxycontin imaginable. And this was before anybody knew what to do about it. So like, yeah, that's yeah. You know, my, um, a guy I had on here, my friend Ben, he's a social worker in Boston and yeah, that's what he's, he's dealing with too. Yeah, it's crazy. Like I just had my former Vivitrol doctor, who's a board certified addiction medicine specialist, come on our podcast like a couple weeks ago. And he was talking about how he looked at some of his numbers of the people that he had coming into his outpatient office. And um, 
looked at whatever, however many had been checked into detox and then met with him afterwards. And it was like a hundred percent of them had tested negative for opiates and a hundred percent for fentanyl. So they literally all thought that's crazy. 100% of his patients testing negative for all opioids other than fentanyl. So these people had no idea what they were even buying. That's insane. Yeah. That is crazy. And it's, I I think, you know, I thank God, and I'm a chronic, I'm a chronic relapser, I'm a chronic overdoser. I've had eight hospitalized overdoses, two comas, but it's like, and that was even my last one was four years ago, so that was really right when it was kind of starting. And it's like I, I you know, I thank God that I made it out before, like, because I just would not, I would be dead for sure with a hundred percent. Like, you know, it was bad enough. I could barely live when it was actually heroin. So yeah, exactly. And like similar to me, like I always had. Well, I still do. Like my my believe it or not, for somebody that abused drugs for as long as I did, I have a really sensitive body. Like I take a half of melatonin and I'm like knocked out for like a full day. Like it's crazy. So, <laughs> so like imagine somebody with that little low tolerance for any substance that comes into your system and like being around right when fentanyl hit and still using like that, that was very, very, very unsafe. I'm, I'm thankful that I got out like same with you is when I did. And I think, I think watching one of my best friends pretty much die in front of me in my front seat when we bought a bag of dope that we didn't know had fentanyl in it. And, um, this kid like going purple on me and then miraculously waking up as I pull up to the doors of the emergency room. I mean, I would love to say like I never used again after that day, but when I think about the building blocks that led me to finally make a, a, a long lasting change, like that was a big one. That was Yeah. And it, it's been really, really sad to me. And, and I mean this in the least like um, judgmental, arrogant way possible, but it's like the people that I've seen die like friends. It's like they weren't even really junkies. They weren't even really like your typical like heroin addict. Like we're talking, you know, third and fourth time users and they're just dead. Like that's crazy. But then like, I also say too, like you, then you take your skilled lifelong junkie that like knows how to use responsibility and like, might know, you know how to do like a, a test shot or might know how to test something um, and has been able to survive this long and it's taken these guys out. So nobody yeah. is like exempt from this. Right. And I guess I said that more. It's like, and I don't want to say that like one deserved it less, but it's like at least, I, you know, after my, you know, seven and eight year mark, I knew what I was signing up for as far as that lifestyle. It's like these people, it's like almost like it's like going to a frat party or, you know, like, yeah. I don't want to say an innocent mistake, but like, damn, dude, it's just, it's, it's bad. It is really not good out there right now. But I mean, it kind of is an innocent mistake. Like I'm hearing stories now from these kids who are in high school in the Massachusetts area. And they're telling me stories about how they show up to a house party on a Friday night and people are sitting around a table shooting up heroin. Like, like that is bizarre. Isn't that crazy? That would, I mean, bizarre. Yeah. I mean, that, that wasn't even happening back when. No, it w- it took like some concerted effort to like find the heroin crowd. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you had to be really determined to. to- yeah, you really you really had to want to die. Back. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and but seriously, that is what I say to people nowadays, and I'm not 
you know, for the whole like dare, let's scare people out of doing drugs. But in all seriousness, and I, and I don't say it to scare people out of doing it. I say it to people so they can at least make somewhat of an informed choice. It's like if you guys are using right now, and especially IV, you better be willing to die over it. And if you're not, yeah. you really got to take a, a hard look at your life and figure out if this life that you're leading is conducive to who you want to be and what you want to accomplish in life. And if it's not, you better start thinking long and hard about how you're going to get over this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, man, thanks for coming by, y'all. Hey. Yeah, no, it's been real, man. It's been yeah. real. Yeah, yeah, man. It's cool, man. Nice talking. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. I um, hope to talk to y'all soon, and we'll definitely be uh, allies in this thing. I like the little community of uh drug addict podcasters it's a good thing me awesome. too so it's all new to me jen and I, it's fascinating it really is you know you guys yeah. you'll have to come on our show soon for sure yeah just let me know absolutely okay yeah john couldn't be here tonight he's got kids and blah 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 blah. <laughs> you know yeah. those dang kids <laughs> <laughs> all right megan bobby well thanks again man we'll talk to y'all soon all right jen take care thanks jen death of hundreds of people yeah right yeah (laughs) (laughs) you got Uh, look yeah you never know what you're gonna get in this world am i right jed uh so i think i jumped the gun early (laughs) in giving chance not the rapper a shout out because he just sent me a text he said this was the text he said uh the four people behind me just went add your podcast. I was like, no, huh? He's like, yeah, there was like, this is, I'll just quote it. Yeah, they was like, what's that on your shirt? So I told them. I said, fucking right, homie. And then he said, I told them you're a bitch made. Like, oh. <laughs> He's like, JK. JK. Uh, four, four people actually unsubscribed. They, they right. happened in, yeah. <laughs>
Thanks a lot, <laughs> Chance. It, wait, is bitch made good? I or? don't even know anymore. Oh, I'm not sure. Listen, yeah. okay, uh, this I, I do need the congregation's help on this. Um, I checked Urban Dictionary. I've never heard of this one. Have you ever heard of, uh, oh, crap, what was it? Tootsie. Dang it, I forgot it. <laughs> it's, it's like yes, I am titillated right now. <laughs> uh, we we're trying to figure it out because apparently there was some some kids at work talking about it was like called like a Tootsie Glob or something or like a Tootsie. Um, I don't I don't know if this is appropriate for Miriam. Yeah, <laughs> I just. I don't. Well, I literally—it was funny. Like, I really—I realized I need like a, um, like uh, a thirteen-year-old on staff to keep me up with the latest jive and lingo because, like, this is literally how the conversation went down. Like, I got a call. It's like, hey, uh, do you know what a tootsie blank? Toots- I can't remember what it was. Which let's is let's me. just say it. Let's just say for just for continuity. Let's just say a tootsie whopper. Okay. Do you know what yeah. a Tootsie Whopper is? Uh, we think it's some sort of like flashing <laughs> thing guys do, but we're not sure. Uh, we're trying to get to the bottom of this. Uh, can you can you find out for me? I was like, yeah, okay, sure. So I just like, went on Urban Dictionary, can't find nothing. You're like, as soon as I finish watching sad scenes from movies, right? Give, give me one second. Yeah. Give me one second. Yeah, I'll find out for you. <laughs> I'm actually watching Tootsie right now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we think it's uh, that's hilarious. Like, and then yeah. it would be funny though if it cut to a scene of like like five people in a room, like, yeah, we think it's. Yeah, the thing is, Chad. I so these guys are all flashing each other like mad in this place. Is that what it is? They can't stop showing each other each other's peckers. Weird. I said pecker because yeah, yeah. Uh, but granted, that is what, uh, you know, is it, shocker America, that is what teenage boys do. They should, yeah, they, they want to make sure that everything's good down there. Right, That's it is, the it is literally a subtle, it is a hey. subtle, Does uh, this look socially weird? acceptable way. If you're, if none of your friends say like, whoa, what is that? Then like, right. you're good. Yeah, you're good. You never, you never see any uncircumcised ones. <laughs> okay, you know because not, you know. Listen, uh, sorry, Miriam. Listen, I'm we're not sorry. going there. Not yeah, going you're right, there. You're right. The only time we're going to talk about circumcision is uh, actually I was reading in First Corinthians today. We should be circumcised in our hearts, right? Oh, you know what was interesting though? I did this. Will you know bring it back to something redeeming? So I was reading uh, the ba- the daily verse was in, out of Corinthians and it was talking about marriage. I meant to send it to you. But it starts off with Paul saying, like, uh, basically that uh, I'm saying this, not God. And I was like, I'd never really noticed that before. That he, in quote, in parentheses, he's like, this is me, not the Lord. And then he, like, gives his opinion on marriage, basically. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. It is interesting. Is that where he starts saying the weird stuff? Uh, that's where, where it's like. Starts oh. getting kind of weird for a second? No. I. Because there's one where he's, like, saying, like... No, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Um... Boop, 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 boop. Give me some, uh... Okay, hold on. Um... I'm just a bachelor. What is that, dude? For a partner. 
someone who knows. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Thank you. Okay, sorry. What was that? That was My Pony by Genuine. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, in that case, finish it out. Get to the chorus, at least. If you're honey, let's do it. it. Riding my pony. My saddles waiting. All right, anyway. Coming. Jump on it. Uh. To the married, I give this charge. Parentheses, not I. Oh. All right, Chad. I don't there we go. Okay. That. Well, I thought I read it. <laughs> yeah, this is too I thought I read it. It says, to the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. Da, 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 da. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord. That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. So apparently all that is just Paul saying that, which is interesting. So, I, yeah, that is interesting. I need to go check that out because I – that because, no, that is where it gets kind of weird, dude. That's he starts where, like, talking the children about... – I guess I should just read it, right? Sorry. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Yeah, that's weird. It is kind of weird. My my daughter specifically is dirty all the time. I mean, it's hard to keep her clean. It's in the literal sense? Yes. Uh, obviously, she's pure as the virgin snow. But she, you know, she's she eats with her entire arm. Like, if you put a plate of food in front of her... She, she shovels let, it with her, like, forearms? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude. That's just whatever it may be. It could be beans and rice. You know, b- baked beans, even. Or refried. And there, it's all over her whole body and face whenever she eats. That's just how it goes. And then when you try to wipe it off of her, she doesn't like that. Really? Yeah. She fights it. <laughs> so that's the metaphor. Let, let me let my outside match my inside, Father, Look, please. No, this, is, this is the thing, Raph. So this is the same thing that happens with God, you know, with our Father in Heaven. He's trying to wipe us clean, and we're like, No! Oh, I'm man. good. I'm good, bro. If you kids That's are a blessing. A, yeah. Do you think? Yeah. Apparent. Well, do you, it does seem like the the kid, parent, God, us metaphors like never stop. Like, it, you think that's why? Yeah. In, in his infinite wisdom, he gave us kids so that we could see how to be more like him. Yeah. And see how we are. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how it goes. And then also... Maybe that's why I'm so afraid of it. Even he said that... Yeah, I think he gave us uh, dominion over... Well, he gave us, like, pets, even. So that we could see how... How a relationship with God from... Like, a, a master-servant relationship should work. Huh. So if you have a dog that's well-trained... And he always comes when you call him. You know, it wouldn't be great if we could be that way. So what does it mean that I have a cat who is currently in heat? Um. Listen. Luna. Luna. Meow. You hear that? Oh, yeah. She's aching for it. This is 
<laughs> Kaylee, if you're listening, it, congregation, sorry. please join Patreon so we can finally get my cat fixed. It is super aggravating. Y'all been hearing her now for about a year. Every like two months, you'll hear I, her in the I, background. Congregation, how can you live with yourselves? You know exactly. It's basically on you guys at this point. It really is. Yeah, you know. Uh, oh yeah, and you know. Well, I'm not gonna lay it. Yeah, life's hard right now, Brad. Life's hard, dude. Yeah, I'm I'm having a rough day. If this if this episode seems if this whatever if you, man if this seems weird, Jed is off his game today. It's been a rough one. Very depressed. Watching uh, the saddest scenes ever. Um, let's go play some video games. Okay. Love you guys. I love uh, you guys. Say some prayers for me. Um, send us an email, churchandotherdrugs at gmail dot com. Uh, find us on Patreon, Patreon slash Church and Other Drugs. Be on the lookout. If you get Patreon, even for a dollar, you get access to Brad and Jed's Comedy Half Hour, which will be soon including Brad's, Brad's True Conspiracy. Yeah, Brad's. Let me take this one, Jed. Thank you. All right. Brad's True Conspiracy Facts. Brad's is- True Conspiracy Facts. Facts. BTCF.